Hi, I'm Joanne Murphy. Welcome to Try Talking Sport, the podium podcast for athletes, adventurers, and endurance enthusiasts. Welcome to episode 10 of Try Talking Sport. Yes, episode 10, and what a great first series it's been. I've chatted with some amazing people over the past few months, each guest giving a great insight into their lives and providing some impressive inspiration to us all. Thank you to everyone who has tuned in. We've already hit over 5,000 downloads, which is absolutely fantastic. We've had some incredible guests and we have a huge lineup of more guests over the next few months. So please continue to tune in. And if you get a chance, please take some time to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. In this 10th episode, I chat with triathlete and veteran Ironman World Championship finisher, Owen Martin, who this year celebrates his 10th anniversary of chasing dreams on the big island in Hawaii. Owen started out in triathlon back in 2004 and has raced at all distances and all levels of triathlon since then. Triathlon is not only his passion, it is now his almost full-time career as both an athlete and coach. His insight into his training, racing and his tips are invaluable to anyone who is racing this year or who is looking to qualify for the Ironman World Championships in the future. His genuine excitement about returning to the island is infectious. With a gracious attitude towards his opportunity to race with the best athletes in the world, he is both humble and grateful, and in his own words, blessed to be able to race. Owen Martin, welcome to the show. I can't believe we're recording this in a car park. You might tell people where we are and what we're doing. Thank you, Joanne, and welcome to the back of my van. Now, that sounds really um, funny and sinister, but it's actually the back of the van, the studio van. We planned to record the episode in a hotel lobby, but the hotel lobby got too uh, noisy. So I'm sitting here surrounded by Owen Martin's swim gear, his fancy giant bike, uh, some serious amount of gear here, lovely uh, Kailua Kona Hawaii bags. Um, so this is this could be my new podcast studio. Sounds good to me. I wonder would Renault give me a van and I convert it into a podcast studio? You can always ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Owen, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, we've listeners from all over the place uh, that uh, tune in to listen to Try Talking Sport. Um, but I want to talk to you today about your journey in triathlon. Uh, before we get stuck into it, you might tell us a little bit about yourself and where you've come from. Well, in terms of triathlon, my first with triathlon was in 2004, Joanne. Um, it was a sprint triathlon camera from my recollection and never from that I was just it was hook line and sinker I, I, I enjoyed the the elements of the swim the bike and the run it was a different it was a most certainly a different challenge to me then um, I hadn't swam in from primary school I didn't own a bike and I didn't even own a pair of proper running shoes so so what happened how did you even get into the triathlon in the very first instance very strange what happened um i was doing a bit of running at the time more so to keep the beer belly off me than anything else um and i was down to do the uh, a relay for the belfast marathon in 2004 and um, the guy who was meant to do the other half for me because at that stage i couldn't barely even run 13 mile he didn't turn up um, i went home that day extremely ticked off i met a friend Jerry McCabe in Dundalk and he said well why not do the, the Camelot Triathlon next week and I did um, I had to borrow a bike uh, I had to borrow a wetsuit it wasn't even a proper wetsuit it was one of those ski-do wetsuits and I did it and I just loved it um, the, pre- the only time I'd ever swam before that race was in primary school whenever I learned how to swim 
So it was 20 years, even many years it would have been, but it was a lot and I loved it. I just loved it. So it's safe to say back in 2004, you were a bit of a runner. You weren't a cyclist or a swimmer. Not a swimmer in any way and certainly not a cyclist. I didn't even own a bike, so I couldn't have been a cyclist. Um, probably the running probably would have came naturally enough to me from my football background. So I played football from under 10 uh, for most of my life. And even when I stopped the football, I continued to run, as I said, just more I'd done more drinking in those days than running, but it was to keep the belly off more than anything else. So, but I, I could always run, not too bad. And I believe you've a kickboxing medal as well to your yeah, name. Yeah, myself and my brother from a, from a very early age, we done kickboxing during the week, and both of us have two All Ireland medals from that at very young ages, though very young ages. So you are now coming into your tenth year of racing in Kona. Yeah. But you've been doing triathlon a lot longer than that. So tell me a little bit about how you ended up on the road to Kona in the very first place. Kona, funny, my first few years in triathlon, I had no idea what Kona was, what it was about, anything about it at all, because it was just something that wasn't in my mind, I didn't know what it was, and it wasn't until the first year, where actually Liam Dolan qualified for Kona, and again, that's when I, it stood up to me, and I researched it, and Liam went that year, and he done uh, his Kona, and I was just flabbergasted by it, the island looked beautiful, I was just, and I said, from there and then I said, I need to get to that place. Um, so Liam raced that October and both him and I are friends anyway and I met him for a few beers in around that Christmas and he just filled me in what it was like and this and then I was just I just really had to get there and I said to Liam there and then that night with a few beers in me I said I'll be there next year so this is a year after this is like in the in in the few months after you'd raced your very first triathlon no no all oh, right okay no, it's so, later than that yeah so my first triathlon was in 2005 and I think okay. the first year I qualified for Kona was in 2009 Okay, so God, I, I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, no, Ooh. so I probably had three or four Ironmans done. Maybe, may, maybe my fourth one was my qualifier. I forget, but it, okay. or, or four or fifth, or something like that. Uh, yeah, but when I met Liam that evening and he told me the stories and everything, then sure, then I knew what Kona was, and I just needed to get there. And I did all, went down all avenues, and I said to Liam that night, as you just said, I'll be there next year, and I was there next year. So how did you get there that first year? So I signed off for Ironman Frankfurt the following year and I went and I came ninth in my age group and taking a big, big, big chunk off my, my time. And of course, in those years, I think it was actually 20 slots in my age group that year. And wow. so I qualified quite comfortably and there and then and off I was to Kona. It was just, I just couldn't believe I actually done something and I didn't realize how special a place it was until I got there. And now I've been, well, I've been there nine times. This will be my 10th coming up now in a few weeks time. And it's just, it's a special place, it really is. For people who are listening who maybe never have been to Kona or might not ever get there, describe to us what it's like being on the island, stepping off the plane, or maybe talk about the plane journey first, because it's not entirely the most pleasant flight no. from no. San Fran or LA across to Kona. It's not, it's, it's, in the first three years I went, I, the, the, the route I took was quite, it was actually almost as hard as the race. It was Dublin, London, London, LA, LA, Kona in one shot. And it was just so hard on my body. It's the shortest route, though. I think isn't it about twenty-five or twenty-seven hours? It's it's yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It, it's it, it's extremely hard on my body. And then one, I think on my third or fourth year going, we missed the flight due to a flight delay, and the airline put us up in a hotel in Los Angeles. And I got a full night's sleep, and I was grumpy about it. But the next morning, I woke up fresh, and we flew on to Kona that morning. And I said to Ashley, my wife, if I am lucky to ever requalify, this is what I'm going to do from now on. I'll just stay overnight in LA, mm -hmm. and it makes. 
uh, just a huge, huge, huge difference. So then talk to me about stepping off the plane in Kona because the first thing that hits you is the searing heat. Even in the middle of the night, it's searing heat and humidity when you step off the plane. Yeah, the heat, it's it's pretty indescribable. It's, it's, it's so, so intense and the humidity is, it's not that I don't like it, I just find it very hard to deal with. It's just super, super intense. And as you say, the temperature gauge in the car doesn't seem to change much throughout the day. It stays in around 89, 90 and then goes up to 100, 105 or whatever. It's just, it's for me, it's, it's without a doubt the most challenging aspect of the race is dealing with the conditions, the heat especially. Heat, I like, I love racing in the heat. I, the humidity gets me every time. And you've qualified in Arizona as well. So yeah. you would have been used to a bit of heat in Arizona. You go to the States the last couple of years, you've gone to the States to qualify, you yeah. qualified in Lanzarote. Yeah. So you must, you're not a stranger to heat. And obviously like this, your 10th time going to Kona, but the heat is still something that affects everybody i think it does and it's just not me it i really enjoy racing in heat uh, lanzarote heat i love it if it's 30 degrees and hot i love it i race extremely well in it arizona i've picked because it's hot but it's a dry desert heat and my body seems to react very well i love racing in the heat in hot conditions like that really do it's the humidity that gets me but how do you acclimatise to racing in that heat? I mean, we, we live in Ireland where, thankfully, as we look out the door of the van, there's a few clouds, but there's primarily blue sky. There's no wind and there's no rain for a change. It's like a mini heat wave. In the short answer to that is it's impossible. And mm. uh, We all do, the, the, the serial Kona qualifiers, we do sessions indoors and runs outdoors with lots of hats and stuff on us, but it really doesn't prepare you for the actual conditions. It may help a bit. I'm not overly convinced it does. Uh, it's not until you get there that you realise, God, this is this is it's a different ball game altogether, and it's the main reason why I've tried my very best is not two to three years to get to the island as early as possible because the first few years I was there nine ten days before the race, and even though I raced pretty well, I was suffering very bad with the conditions. And obviously, with the jet lag on top of that as well, and the tiredness, it doesn't help when you're trying to acclimatise. Yeah, it, it the jet lag doesn't help, but. It, for me, it was my feet just swelled up so badly, my arms, my my hands, and everything. So it, it just took so long for your body doesn't actually get a chance to recover at all over there because of the conditions. Because even at night time, as you said, Joanne, the, it, the temperature doesn't really change all that much. It may get a little bit cooler. So I'm walking around most of the time with swollen hands, swollen feet, and everything. And it, for me, anyway, it takes that bit of extra time to come back to normal. So for this year, when when are you going to Kona? Because we're about probably five weeks out from it now. I know the show is coming out closer. It'll be live closer to the date of, of Kona itself. But we're five. Is it five weeks out? It now? was five weeks past. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So I leave here. Um, on the 24th of September I, and then I'm doing my normal route Dublin LA and then I overnight in LA and then on to Kona so I arrive in Kona September 25th so that gives you a good two weeks nearly is more it? Yeah, yeah it's gonna be 16 17 days before the race yeah Um. yeah and it's certainly a different island then because I arrived there at the same time last year and it was just it's quite it's a really quiet place and is it, was, it it is it really is I was quite taken aback a little bit by because on the first morning I went down for a swim and it was just me on the beach and I ended up going to the pool because I didn't want to swim in the ocean on my own. Really, really quiet. Um, yeah, but it, as you know, it, it changes very quickly. It does. It's, it's, like a, it's like a big bus just arrives every single day or yeah. two or three buses arrive in on, on, on particular days and the place just becomes yeah, it's great. like Chris Central. No, it, it's great. It's great. And I think for me, that's one of the interactions being surrounded by people who are very very like-minded and um, competition is there it's 
everybody feels special because if you've qualified together you realize how hard it is and for me it's an extreme honor to be there so not really much pressure and I, I like it it's just it's nice so 10 years going back to the island will you continue after this year do you think um i don't know um i've been a little bit disheartened um this last couple of years not not through my performances and stuff like that it's just getting it's getting hard to qualify i don't mind that bit i'm not a shy of putting in the work and from that end of it but there's other aspects of stuff that's creeping into the sport and it's really the bike course especially this last two to three years has been severely overcrowded and for me that is a strong enough biker it's not really suiting me because there's just yeah. huge huge packs forming I know they've changed the starting waves for this yeah. year to try and mitigate yeah. it. I really hope that helps. I really, really, yeah. I'm a bit ticked off. It takes away the special atmosphere of the mass start because mm. even though I'm not a, it's, re, it's the mass starts are really, really intimidating. But I, I find that really good to get your blood, get the adrenaline up. Yeah, you're fired up when you're yeah. in the war. You've two thousand people around you. It's fight, it's fight or whatever, and it's just we'll see. I just hope that it, I just really hope that it sorts out the, the drafting problem, and then yeah, so we'll see. And hopefully the weather will be um, will play ball as well, and Madame Pele won't make it too hot this year because last year a lot of the records fell. Um, you know there was very very fast bike and run splits last year, yeah. even up at the at the pointy end of the business. Yeah. Um, no, last year was a great year. Uh, it was yeah, it was dead, well, as the as the as everybody's times indicated, it was a very very fast year. But at that. It's still tough though. It, yeah, it's still extreme. The heat was still there. Yeah. There was most certainly was still wind. It just was not that vicious, vicious wind that is there normally. But at that, I hope it's windy this year, and I hope it's hot, because at the end of the day, because it was none not that windy last year, the weaker bikers were able to hang on and draft. Okay. I want it to be windy. Okay, you want to put the yeah. hammer down and work uh, yeah, hard. Yeah. And and get there and in terms of fueling and nutrition Owen, because obviously race day is, is one aspect so in, this is a double barrel question really because the first question is how do you um, hydrate and fuel yourself in the days leading up to the race I suppose you're there for 16 days you're away from home you don't have the food you're going to have at home you're relying on maybe staying in an apartment trying to cook the foods that are are available to you on the island but then also the fueling and the nutrition maybe in the 48 hours before the race and during the race as well to, to combat the heat and the humidity yeah in terms of, of every food is available over there so my diet doesn't change at all in terms of what I eat um, what do you eat I eat a lot of fish I eat a lot of rice um, some sweet a lot of sweet potato normal foods um, I eat uh, well I, I find it actually necessary to have a, at least one steak normally on a sour night um, and mostly chicken but the majority of my diet would probably be salmon quite a boring boring diet but it works for me um, so all that stuff you can get out there and it's not a problem and the restaurants are actually quite expensive out there so yeah. it, it works out a much more sensible option to cook indoors so Ashton she does most of the cooking indoors and it's great um, in terms of nutrition again if you're if you're going out there you ha already have had to qualify to get there so you're at a reasonable standard and your nutrition should be nearly dialed in anyway. but your nutrition that works in Ireland or the UK or Germany's or wherever you may have qualified most likely will not work in Kona because from personal experience your body is under so so much pressure even when you're not racing uh, it's 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 difficult for your body to con not consume but to, to use all the calories that you're used to putting in so I've actually dialed back on the calorie end of things because I'm putting in all the calories and none of them were being used and um, 
a big part of my own training is using fat for fuel. So I'm pretty fat, a pretty fat adapted athlete. So I am. Okay. Um, so for listeners who don't understand what a fat adapted athlete is, what what is that? I do most of my training on the in the early season, January, February, March. Get up in the morning time as if it's two, three, four hour bike, and just a couple of coffees and out the door, and I ride at a really, really low heart rate. And as I get fitter and I drop a little bit of weight and stuff, like faster, faster, and faster. And now I've got a few tests done recently, and I'm just my body is very efficient at using fat for fuel. But you have to teach your body to be efficient mm-hmm. at using fat for fuel, um, and it takes a lot of practice and a lot of trial and error. Um, but yeah, it's. If you're a, if you're a very well fat adapted athlete, you'll you'll do well in Ironman. Okay. In terms of your own training, then Owen, because obviously you have the studio that's open. Is it two years now? Yeah. Yes. Um, so you you were, I suppose, training as well as tra- you're training your own athletes and your own gang up at the studio, but then you're trying to get your own training done at the same time as well. Do they complement each other? Yeah. So this year in October will be our second year uh, with Fun Two Cycling Studio being open, and. It definitely has complemented my training. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, if I feel great going to work every day, putting cycle, cycling. So you're like a professional athlete. Yeah, it's, I love it. It's, it's great. And I get to teach, which I, I love as well. I get to help other athletes who may not be as experienced as me. I, I, I like that end of it. I really, really do. Um, so, yeah, it's from the cycle studio has, without a doubt, helped me in my own performances and also helped me do what I enjoy in teaching and coaching. And when you're training, are you going off watts or heart rate or a bit of both? Mostly, well, 100% in the off-season. Um, my off-season, for example, the last few years has been, well, I've raced Arizona a week or so off and then a back, a back at very unstructured training. So from, say, January to April or so, heart rate-based, just to get the fitness back, get that aerobic capacity back up. And then at the moment, I it's a lot of power. As the fitter you get, your heart rate is probably not a the ideal metric to use power is probably not is a lot more uh, immediate feedback type thing so what sort of watts would you be pushing out in training and then what sort of watts would you be pushing out in Kona on the bike course uh, it depends it, it depends if it's a hard session obviously you're pushing big mm. watts but um, as I, again I, hopefully in Kona if I can average in around 250 255 watts it should uh, it should lead it should lead me to be able to run okay but Wattage is, from my weight, 255 is... So what weight are you? Well, I'll, well, or I'll, will you be in Kona? What weight yeah, will you be? I'll probably leave here in around 69, 68.5, 69 kilos or so. So in terms of watts per kilo, I would like to try and hold in around 3.5 watts per kilo for okay. the bike. Okay. And hopefully that leads me into a good run. And in terms of coming off the bike then, Owen, and running... Um, you, you go, you do that kind of loop where you go all the way out and then you come all the way back in again. Yeah. Um, it, it's not an easy run course either. I mean, there's nothing easy about Kona. No, there's there's zero flat in Kona. Yeah. Zero because even the swim is kind of wavy. I know it's not horrendously um, wavy, but it is bouncy. I suppose is the word to use for the water. It's swelly. It's swelly. Yeah, yeah that's the there, word. There's there's no well, there's never no waves that you have to fight. But if you, uh, you probably notice yourself, if you look over by the hotel, there's all huge Hawaii 5 mm, waves coming in. Mm. So those waves are created by lots of swell. And there's actually been a few years during the swim where the swell has been that bad, where I've actually felt quite sick during the whole swim because of the movement of the sea. And um, so the swim is difficult. And plus as well, it's, an, it's, an, it's a non-wetsuit swim. So for those 
doesn't really bother me. I'm not, I don't classify myself as a swimmer, but it doesn't freak me out either. Okay. Uh, but so, so somebody who qualified this year for the very first time who's facing into a non-wetsuit swim, you know, what sort of activity should they be doing now to, to get ready for Kona? At the end of the day, a non-wetsuit swim is the same as swimming in a swimming pool. Yeah. So people freak themselves out because, oh my God, it's a non-wetsuit swim, but people swim two, three, four, whatever distance they do in the pool. They swim year-round non-wetsuit. And then because somebody tells them that they're going to get in and swim in the sea with non-wetsuit, it freaks them out. It, it shouldn't freak them out. But is it not the thing of you're completely out of your depth? Yes, you've got other swimmers and paddleboarders and water safety around you, but you're completely out of your depth and you're not in something that has a little bit of buoyancy yeah. that if you do have to stop, you, ha you can take a breather. Whereas when you don't have a wetsuit on, you actually yeah, can't not. really, you know, yeah. you have to keep moving all the time. Yeah, I agree. And this and year, you can't see the bottom. I think that's what freaks people out the most. Well, in Hawaii, you can see, see the, the bottom. bottom. Well, it's very yeah, clear. And yeah. if you see the turtle, then it's going to be yeah. a good day. In Hawaii, you see the turtles, every type of fish, dolphins. You're, there's zero issue with visibility in Hawaii. The only thing I don't like about Hawaii is that you do not have the opportunity to stop. The worst mistake that you can make in Hawaii is if you do get a little bit breathless or you need a bit of a break is to stop swimming. You will go under. Yeah. No, there's just it's taken no well, prisoners. Well, maybe this year now because they've maybe. removed the, yeah, the mass, maybe, the mass start, it might be a little yeah, bit easier. Yeah, because I actually know quite a few, uh, a couple of friends, and both of them actually raced pro for years. Mm. One of them finished third overall in Kona, and he told me it was only three years ago. Uh, he was continuing. He's raced as an age grouper now, and he he thought he was a goner. Yeah, because yeah. he stopped to take a breaststroke. But you've so many don't, people coming behind don't you. Don't do it in Kona. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, for somebody who say qualified like down the rankings a little. Now it rarely happens that a Kona slot will roll beyond. You know, well, I suppose it, it depends on how many slots there are in an age group, but rarely it will roll to say twenty fifth. This is five slots in an age group, and you're twenty fifth overall, and you, you get the slot. You're are you at a disadvantage because you aren't as good as the people who qualified higher up, or? Does it make any difference? Is everybody in the same boat? Yes and no, because the the difference some most of the time between first position. Okay, if you take out the first first second and third, but from fifth to twenty fifth, as you yeah. said, then there's probably only, only minutes between only them. Two to three minutes, yeah. four minutes in the difference. So the guy who finished twenty fifth may only be five minutes off the guy who finished fifth. Okay. So he's a good athlete. Yes. Him or her is a good yeah. athlete. Yeah. So yeah, no, uh, yeah, I think. Generally, you have the top of the pops there, uh, and you have the people who get the charity slots and stuff, and who they they need to watch it. They need to watch it. Well, I suppose they're conscious of, of not letting people down. They've raised an awful lot of money for, yeah. and and the you know they they have such a huge following of people wanting them and willing them around. They're putting in the training as well. Um, I suppose for the swim, you know, when you'd be maybe a little bit nervous, like yeah. if you had, yeah. if you were a little bit far down the pack, yeah. would you, you know the the yeah. being on your game for for a race day. I would I would take a fairly relaxed attitude to that. Mm. You know, if you know if you know that you're generally a weaker swimmer, just start towards the back. Yeah. You know, you don't have to win the swim. It's even with like myself, I don't have to win the swim. I just have to cross the line extremely fast. You know, you just you need to relax. What does it feel like on race morning, standing on yeah, the it's, pier? It's it's for me even now when you mention that to me, I got goosebumps when you say it. It's just like even this is is my tenth year, and I spoke to a friend of mine yesterday, and it really, really, honestly does feel like my first year. That the excitement is so much there. It's just it's pretty hard to what describe. What is it though? Like, is it is what is it that's driving you to the island every time? I don't know. It's just for me. It's a really. The island itself is beautiful, but that's not what wants me to keep going back and keep going back. It's really, 
it's really, I don't know, it's weird, it's mystical, it's magical. It's one to test myself against the best in the world. Where am I? Again, I've always been competitive in no matter what sport I want to do. I want to see, well, where can I do or how fast can I go and stuff. But it's weird. I don't know. I just, it's just such an adrenaline rush. It's different than any other Ironman I've ever done. As you say, on race morning, it's just, if you could have a pin drop, you, the air would probably explode with tension. It's it's crazy. It it is. It's yeah. It's goose, it's goosebump stuff. It is. It's good crazy. It's beautiful. Ah, it's just you know if you could bottle the tension and the adrenaline of that ten to fifteen minutes before the race takes place, it'd be the most valuable substance in the world. It it, Probably. it, would, it would just fix everything. It would just brilliant. Do you think will you try and qualify for next year? I'll get this year over first, and I'll see how I do. Um, I never like to think that far ahead. If I will try now, it probably. No, you do now, Owen, because didn't you race one year in Kona and then you decided to go and race while you were still over in the States to qualify for the following year? Yes, I've done that this last four years. <laughs> because, so I don't like yeah. to think ahead, but hey, I might pack enough gear yeah, for a second but, race. But as I said a few moments ago, I'm, I'm slowly, slowly getting a little bit disheartened about it. I, I want to go. I know I'll be in good shape. I know I'll be very, very fit. I know... In terms of fitness, there won't be very much, many people there fitter than me, stronger than me, uh, but my results never reflect, or seldom reflect, the amount of effort and training I put in for a different number of reasons. Um, it's it's getting a little bit unfair, the racing out there, so, okay. yeah. So. In terms of your own um, mental headspace, when you're racing out there and things are going right, things are going wrong, you know, those demons that we get at the back of our heads, the back chat that we don't want to listen to. How do you deal with that on a race day when things aren't going well? You deal with that in January. You deal with that in February. When you walk out your front door and you have six hours biking to do in the pouring rain, that sorts that problem out straight away to what it does. Um, How do you stay positive on a race, though, when you get a, a puncture or the chain comes off and you're, you break your chain or something happens and, you know, that... that five minute lead that you might have had in your age group is suddenly a 10 minute deficit experience you know i've all of those things have happened to me punctures mm. this that the other and i've made the mistakes of having a few punctures getting back in the bike absolutely hammering the bike to get back into where i wanted to be and then walk in the run so if i make that that's okay doing that once but if you make that mistake twice then you're not a very intelligent person and um, so there's not really much that hasn't happened to me in people crashing into me on the bike gears not working on the bike everything has happened and I've, I've definitely have learned number one the most important thing to me is I feel so blessed and happy and honoured to be on the island and be racing so from 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 the last year and the year before I have no pressure so whatever is going to happen I'm going to deal with it as long as I get knocked off and break a collarbone or something it's going to get done and speaking of breaking a collarbone you're not shy of a few injuries over no. the past few years as well no so in not last year the year before when i was trying to re-qualify for kona i got knocked off my bike in arizona and broke my rib collarbone and some ribs and stuff uh, that didn't bother me at all because that's just that's racing bike racing i didn't have any negative thoughts or it just it was just that and i actually accepted that as a part of racing i had no difficulty what was still in my mind on that day in Arizona was the previous the five weeks previous in Kona it rained quite heavy on the night before the race and when I got on the bike my DA2 didn't work for the whole bike so I had one gear for the whole of the bike and I was in Kona in Kona one gear so I was pushing a 54 12 or 13 for the whole bike 
Did you run the marathon after that? Yeah, so again, at that is a perfect situation. I was, for the first while ago, I was feeling so sorry for myself and this and that. and But I finished the bike. I was just, I just, I knew I was going to finish the bike. And for the first 10k, my legs actually felt not too bad. And then the explosion came, so it was bad. It was, I was never, ever. I actually had to walk backwards down Palani that year because my legs just went, went that bad. So you know Palani. Yeah, I do. So I couldn't, I, I was walking quite a lot at that stage. So the pain was so severe in both my legs and quads. The only way of getting down the hill was to walk backwards, backwards. down it. And that flat bit, when you get to the bottom of it, I tried to jog again and I actually, it was just, it was bad. But now looking back on that, it was a great experience. So I didn't give in, I kept on going and I crossed the finish line, very disheartened and disappointed that the gears didn't work. But it's one of those from the memory bank. So in the future when it happens, I'll well, at least I know I'm going to keep on going. So. So have you switched bikes since then? Yes. Uh, There's a lovely giant bike here beside behind That's actually my like brother's bike, bike, so it is. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's my brother's bike. Uh, yeah, so I have switched bikes. Um, but What are you riding now? Savello P5X. So I was lucky enough to get that last year before the race. And I love it. I've always ridden Savellos. What's so special about the bike? Uh, it's just every athlete has different preferences. People like track, specialised. I've always... My first proper, proper time trial bike was a Savello. And... I just like them. I think um, if you fall in love with a brand, yeah. sometimes you're kind of familiar with it and stick yeah. with it. I know I have a, a felt that hasn't seen much light of day in the past few months, but I also have a felt TT bike which definitely hasn't seen much light of day, but I, I just like the yeah. the brand yeah. and the comfort and the fit of the bike. That's all, it just it seems to work with me. I'm very familiar with the workings of it, building it up, taking it down and stuff. And I've got to know quite a few people in the Savello end of things and I've been well one year in Kona my bike did British Airways lost my bike and I didn't have it with four day or five days to go to the race and Savello said look don't worry they were giving me a brand new bike to do wow. the race yeah so that helped yeah I'm sure it yeah. did but the bike did come the bike did come and I got to do the race on the bike and uh, but the stress that, that that week was it wasn't good but at the end of the day Savello was good enough to step up and say look oh, don't worry we're going to give you a new bike anyway so I was sorted that was uh, yeah. very generous. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was nice. So having the reassurance of that, they, they know I'm a good customer and they were willing. They weren't going to give me the bike. They were just going to loan me the bike for the day. And yeah. So still. still yeah, it was fine. I was good with it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Owen, you're a coach yourself. So you're coaching yes. quite a number of, of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then you're also coached yourself. So yes. you're not self-coached. No. How important is it for you to have a coach to make sure that you're at peak performance and that you're ready to rock? I think it's very important for any athlete to have someone on the outside looking in, who you trust. Um, I made the point to a very good friend of mine many, many, many years ago, who was and still is a very good athlete, who was getting coached by a guy who I knew was nowhere near his standard. And I asked him, well, why are you getting coached? And his reply was, well, Tiger, no Tiger Woods needs a coach. And that made perfect sense to me. So, and if you look at any of the top sportsmen in the world, they all, need or are getting coached it's mm -hmm. just to have someone who has a different perspective on things as athletes we can be very tunnel visioned and if you have somebody on the outside that can go listen on hold on here you're going too long too hard maybe we should ease things off and stuff it's just having a second set of eyes and things to keep you on track because i think as, as athletes if we're left to our own devices which i see quite a few of, of self-coached athletes doing they generally don't have a very long lifespan in triathlon and are you a good, um, I'm not going to say are you a good coach, are you a good athlete for your coach? Do you do what you're told? Yes. Uh, I, Every I, time? Yeah. Uh, even though I do, I would, uh, I'm probably a coach's dream. 
the way I really am. Are you a nerd? Uh, no, I'm not. Lots of people ask me, but number this numbers, that numbers, and it's definitely not not a thing I focus on myself. I focus on getting the work done, and when I know the boxes are green, the numbers will be looked after themselves. So as you power and lots of people ask me what's your best time and stuff it's something I, I rarely look at so you don't look at the times you just look at your your performance yeah overall position overall okay because yeah. like, like, I suppose it's all relative really yeah, isn't it it is yeah. really is like if this year for example if it is particularly windy in Kona and I when I've crossed the finish line at 10 hours or whatever it could be I could win my age group at 10 hours who knows because it could be ridiculously windy on the bike it could be ridiculously hot on the run who knows so going by time is not a a very good thing to do. What's the highest ever finish you had in your age group in Kona? I think last year. Um, again, I haven't even looked yet. I think I was 17th or 18th overall. Um, at a very relaxed year. I'd, I had a bit of a picnic last year in Kona because when I broke my collarbone the previous year in Arizona and then I re-qualified again in Lanzarote, I was just felt blessed. I felt, geez, I'm so lucky to be come back to the island. I didn't feel as if I needed to race. And then whenever I found out my brother and his wife and family and my nephews and nieces were coming over, I just, I, just, I felt great. And so I made that conscious decision. I'm just going to turn up. I'm not going to take it easy. I'll swim as normal, I'll bike as normal, I'll run as normal. But I would, will definitely not get as wound up and stressed about beating this person, beating that person. And I had a fantastic day. The conditions helped. The swim was beautiful. I biked the bike, stuck to my numbers on the run, as those who were there will tell you. I spent more time high-fiving people than I did anything else. It was good. It was just such a, a relaxed atmosphere. So I think in T2 I was... Having a cup of tea? Yeah. Well, I walked T2 and I high-fived all the volunteers and I chatted to the people in the, and it was, it was just good. It was just good to be in there, not to be like the rest of the people in the tent who were in mad mode. It, it, it amazes me how aggressive they can be. I don't see the point in that. You know, we're all in the same boat. We're all suffering. We're all hot. We're all tired. Um, but I just felt blessed. And I think I was seven minutes slower than every one of my competitors in T2, which would have put me in 10th position overall. So, but again, whatever. Don't care. I was there. So for this year's mindset going into it, do we care? No, more of the same. I'm going to do the exact same. I do care. Uh, I'll swim as normal, bike as normal and run as normal. I will definitely have that and blessed to be here attitude. I just won't be as aggressive in I, terms of well, or I, not, or, or as hung up on who's here and who's not no, here. And I, I, well, I'll just be faster in T1 and T2. <laughs> I won't have the tea and sandwiches in T1 <laughs> and T2. Or eating the ice as quick yeah, as you can, yeah. but make sure you put on your sun cream. You mentioned Ashling quite a lot, Owen. Yeah. Um, how important is her support to everything that you're doing? There's I know she's part of the studio as well and yeah. the team with you there, but you know, do you think would you be here without all the support that Ashling has given? No, no way. Um, without Ashling and even my overall family in general, there's no way I could do what I do because I do get away with quite a bit of training and, and my family have backed me up this number and number of years. Just unbelievable. So especially Ashling, She's put up with so, so much and she never complains. She helps me out and you know what she's like on race day. She's she can, amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's good. And so there's no, there's, there's no way I would think I would have been as consistent in my results if not for Ashton, I don't think. If there was a race you could win in the world, what would it be? Mm, that's a good one. I feel like we're just shooting yeah. the breeze here, looking out. I don't the, know. Uh, looking out the window of the van here. I'm just looking at the black cat that's walking in front of me. That's a good sign, Joanne. That yeah, that's, that's a good it? one. Uh, I don't know, Joanne. <laughs> I, I am. Um, like, know. would it be Kona? I would like. 
would it at this stage would it be or would it be something even triathlon related is there I have yeah well after after Ironman and after Kona I have some big enough races on my bucket list to do um, and it's probably more realistic for me maybe to win those okay yeah. are they single discipline sports no no so they're triathlon yeah triathlon okay. yeah so uh, again at that if this happens to be my last year in Kona racing the Ironman World Championships my next on the list is the, to step up to Ultraman okay so it's been in my this last two or three years I keep saying I'm going to do it I'm going to do it and then so I so what, what distance is Ultraman so Ultraman is a three day event and on the first day you swim 10k and then you bike I think something like 110 or 15 mile I'm not too sure something like that and then on the second day you bike closer up to it's 180 mile maybe even 200 mile so it's a big distance anyway and then on the third day it's a double marathon where does that take place? There's four to five races um, around the world. The one I have in mind is in Penticton in Canada. They've added one actually in Arizona this year, so that may swing me towards that. I would like that. Uh, and then the view then would be to try and qualify for the Ultraman World Championships, which is in Kalea, Kalua, Kona. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's a double trip to Kona. Yeah. Well, no, if, if and when that does happen, I most certainly wouldn't be racing. Although my coach said I could go and do the Kona as, as a, a warm up as a warm up for the Ultraman. Could you imagine? I know, it'd be crazy. I don't know if that would even be doable, but who knows? So the uh, Ultraman World Championships takes place four to six weeks after Kona. The other one, yeah. Okay. Who knows? So perfect timing. Yeah. Ashling can just run things at home. Yeah. She can pop over for yeah. the long weekend. Pop home, pop over again. Could you want to get shares in Aer Lingus or one of the airlines? I want to rob a bank. That's what <laughs> I want to do. Never mind shares in Aer Lingus. <laughs> If you were um, to look back over your history in triathlon, is there anything you'd do differently? No, no. If you qualify for Kona 10 years in a row, I think you're doing things pretty well. Um, so no, I think I've, I've made mistakes, I've rectified them. I've always tried to better myself. Um, no, I, 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 there's certainly no way I have any regrets in my triathlon career, none, none whatsoever. In terms of the future for Owen Martin as an athlete, aside from the Ultraman stuff, do you ever see yourself going across to the single discipline sports, like going across to the likes of the ultra uh, cycling, like Race Around Ireland or the Donegal Ultra or any of those, like taking just focusing on one individual discipline and excelling in that area? And what would it be? What yeah, sport would it be? It's possible because another one of my, of, on my big bucket lists is to do the RAM, the Race Across America. Oh, yeah. Uh, not as a solo I think that's and maybe I'm saying not as a solo because I've never done that distance before so my only table really really long distance is the Donegal 555 yeah. which I done two or three years ago and I loved it yeah I it's a really, great race I really 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 loved it and again I didn't train for it I continued with my Ironman training I done two long bike rides and I racked up and I did it and even to this day it's probably one of my better achievements I've, I've never no pain no suffering I just it's really hard to describe the tiredness that kicks in after 18 hours on a bike. It's it's hard. It's, it's hard. impossible to describe it. Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling because I was ha having a chat with a guy the other day, and I, you hear, you often hear stories of the ultra distant athletes and ah falling asleep while you run, falling asleep while you bike. And I thought that was gibberish, but on that last 50k heading back into Letterkenny that day, I was I was having trouble seeing the road, and I was I was really really afraid of falling asleep on the bike and hitting the curb and falling off for Kona because I qualified yeah. for Kona and think if I fall off here. I was actually laughing to myself. I, I think I'm going to fall asleep on a bike, and 
but I didn't. I don't know if you were following Joe Barr on his uh, Race Across yeah, America amazing. this year and um, the, we saw a video where the crew literally just spotted that he was about to fall asleep on the bike. They pulled over and they pulled him over and, yeah. and caught him. It's, it's incredible yeah. to watch it. Yeah, Joe does some pretty... I, I've so, I've such a, admiration for Joe. He does some pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Um, but for the Race Across America, I would love to do it as a four-man team. It's expensive. It it's is very we looked expensive. at it for yeah. the uh, for the Galway Bays, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's you'd want to you want to rob a bank to go to Coney, you'd want to rob two of them uh, to go no, to it's you would need pretty ram. some hefty sponsors on there to yeah. do that. Uh, but you never know, it might happen. Uh, I would like like to do it as a four man team. I have three other athletes in mind who I would do it with because you have to spend a week in the back of a van. As we know, Joanne. I'd recommend yeah, an yeah, OV yeah, for yeah, sure. You go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so you know, we could get a sponsor on board and my view would be to win it. I'm okay. not I, I'm not going to just do it. Maybe aim to get four guys together and go and win as a four-man team. What drives your passion for sport? What drives your passion for all of this? I just like feeling healthy. And like a few years ago, after I stopped playing football, and I spent more time sitting in the pub, and I was, I was three stone heavier than where I am now. And whenever I look back, and generally how I was feeling in those days, I just it's it's a different person. It's a different person completely. So from I started sport semi-serious oh well, I suppose I am serious about it my life in general in, in, in all aspects has improved tenfold who's been the biggest influence on your life or the biggest inspiration since you took up triathlon I don't have any heroes I don't want to be like this person I don't I, it's, I do it for me I do it for me I do, I do it for me my family how it makes me feel it gives me a good life um, do you have to be selfish to be successful very very very, very unfortunately very very selfish and People, I'm relatively chatty, as you know, when I, um, but I definitely like the, the loneliness of the long swims. I like the loneliness, even though I grump about them the whole time. I love the loneliness of the five, the six, the seven-hour bikes, the, the three-hour runs. It's do you train with anybody or do you no, train on your own? No, I have no patience to train with anybody because if you and I were to train tomorrow morning and you were two minutes late, I wouldn't wait on you. I'd be gone. I just would not wait. That's fair enough. Yeah, and at that, it's very rare that you can get somebody who's at a similar standard to yourself. But do you not think that a racing and training with a group of people would, if there was people that are better than you, if they were in your area, that they'd help you to come on? Or if you were racing with pure cyclists and pure runners, that if you were training with those guys, that they'd actually bring on your performance a bit more? Maybe, but I think the most important aspect, or one of the most important aspects to be a good Ironman racer is being good in your own head. You know, it, it's a it's a single person event. You have to swim the swim on your own. You, you're meant to bike the bike on your own, and you run the but run your own. So, what I find from people who I know who do race Ironman, who train in groups, I'm I, I'm not again anybody doing it, but I just don't think it would work very well for me. And then then they go to an Ironman day, and they're five, they're six, they're seven hours, they're eight hours into a race, and their head starts to get yeah. to them then because they're just not used to being out there on their own. Whereas I'm very used to being out there on my own and whenever the time gets tough, I've had to deal with it umpteen times this year, the, the bad weather, five hour bikes, six hour bikes, and I'm very comfortable in my own headspace. And you need to be comfortable in your own headspace for to be good at Ironman. If you um, could pick one athlete in the world that you'd like to coach, who would that be? My wife. <laughs> Do you not coach Ashley no, already? Will, no, well next year maybe. Yeah, I, I guide her, yeah. No, I don't. She'd kill you. You'd kill her. No, they'd be divorced. They definitely will be divorced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd, li I'd like to pick a footballer, a Premier League footballer. And, and turn him into a triathlete? Yeah. yeah. I think they're a bunch of softies. 
No, they and, and and show them a real hard training is like. Yeah. yeah well, oh, I don't know. God, who would you pick though? Roy Keane. You took the words out of my mouth. Would, he's not a softy though. No, he's not a softy. But I was I was softening him though. <laughs> Could you imagine? Roy, if you're listening, get on to me. Free coaching, one year. Could you imagine? Um, we're coming towards the end of our little chat here now, Owen. And I suppose kind of one of the big things I want to ask you is if somebody's listening and they are heading into Kona for the very first time, what would be the biggest piece of advice you'd give them from like a training or nutrition or just a mindset piece of advice or a race day piece of advice? Not to overthink. I understand Kona is the biggest show on, uh, in triathlon on the earth. Uh, do not go into overthinking mode. Do not change your diet. Do not change your nutrition plan. Stick. If you're getting coached, listen to your coach. Um, and there's there's lots of us out there who have been to Kona multiple times. And again, never be afraid to ask a question. Don't go to the island going, oh, Jesus, should I ask that? Ask the question. And there's always people there that will give you advice. If I need advice, I'll ask somebody. Um, but I think the main thing is do not start overthinking it. It's just, at the end of the day, it's just another Ironman race. It's a very special Ironman race. Uh, but don't think yourself out of a good race. I think that's solid advice, and I yeah. think we'll finish on that high note and say uh, thank you very much for joining me for the show, Owen, and wishing you the very best of luck in Kona. I think this episode will be live while you're landing in on the island. If you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a an old review on Apple Podcasts. You can download it and subscribe for free across all the podcast platforms. You can also listen on trytalkingsport.com. Best of luck to everybody racing in Kona this year. I look forward to tracking all of it online. And thanks again for listening. And thanks again to Owen Martin. Mahalo.